Hello, and welcome to another episode of Journey Through Church History. I'm your host and amateur church historian, Fletcher Abbott. We didn't have a chance to join with you all this past week, but I am excited to jump back into our series on persecution. We've been taking some time, taking a few different snapshots throughout the history of the early church regarding this topic. Uh, today we get to tackle another one of those spots. So go ahead and get comfortable and we're going to get ready to jump right on in. So over the last few weeks, I've been spending time uh, talking about different aspects of persecution for the early church. Uh, and I mentioned before that really what these are is little snapshots in time. Uh, that's really the way to look at this. That This is far from exhaustive on every topic regarding persecution in the early church. I'm just uh, taking some time to look at a few different elements of this situation so we can get a broader picture because uh, this is actually all heading somewhere as we're going to continue to see over uh, the next couple of weeks. Up to this point, some of the snapshots we've taken a look at, we've looked at Justin Martyr where he has spent a good bit of time writing about why it's not worth persecuting Christians and why actually Christians are good for the empire because they are dedicated citizens. They spend time praying for their leaders and praying that God would bless them and provide them with success. We've also spent some time talking about uh, those who face persecution in such a way where they stood firmly uh, against it, others who spent some time trying to avoid it, uh, and all done with an attitude of love and compassion towards their enemies, as we saw from uh, people like Polycarp, where they cared for those that were persecuting them. Today, we're going to take a look at a different side of persecution that, from some angles, isn't always going to put the church in the most positive of light, or at least uh, some of the believers in the church uh, in not the most positive of light. During this time, there were a lot of arguments and disagreements that were happening about how a Christian was supposed to face off against persecution. Uh, specifically, there was a good deal of debate over whether or not the Christian should avoid persecution. Everyone agreed uh, that faced off against it that recanting was not an acceptable response, which, which some believers did go that route. But, but universally, that was seen as a negative response. But there was also a lot of debate from people of, if you knew persecution was coming, do you stand where you are? Uh, is it acceptable to run from it? And there were definitely two very clear dividing sides on this disagreement. There were those that said, no, it's perfectly acceptable to... Do what you can to avoid persecution. If you know what's coming, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to leave that area, live to fight another day. And there were those who said, no, that is running from God's will. That is avoiding the, the difficulties that we're told that we're going to face as Christians. And some in that camp even went a little bit further in saying that those who are martyred for their faith 
are seen as those of the highest elite status within the Christian faith. And not before too long, you end up having those that thought, if that's the case, that persecution, martyrdom itself, is something that should be sought after. And thus we ran into a movement, essentially, of sorts, that was called the voluntary martyrdom view. Those uh, who predominantly were cropping up during the 2nd and 3rd century who said, not only is martyrdom something that shouldn't be avoided, but it's something that should actually be actively pursued. A couple of stories to give examples of this. I'll start with a more humorous example of this first. Uh, there was one Christian uh, by the name of Origen. Uh, he was born around AD 185, uh, and he grew up in a Christian home. His, his parents were strong believers, and when Origen was 17 years old, his father was tragically arrested for his faith and was sentenced to death. Uh, this obviously was a horribly tragic moment in the life of Origen and his entire family. Uh, and Origen felt strongly that he should face martyrdom alongside his father. So Origen prepared himself to run out of the house, uh, go to the town courtyard and turn himself in to be killed alongside his father. Well, his mother had other ideas. In her mind, she wasn't about to let her son die alongside her husband. So, Origen's mother very quickly went upstairs, took all of Origen's clothes before he could get dressed, and proceeded to hide them. Origen seemed to be willing to die uh, for his faith, to die for Jesus, but gave it a second thought about the idea of being killed naked. <laughs> so, Origen did not die alongside his father when he was 17. Uh, and many would say that's actually good news, because Origen went on to write uh, so many compelling and powerful Christian writings over the years. Uh, he was a great thinker. Uh, there were times where some of his theology uh, was a little bit off or thrown in different areas. Uh, but we, we owe a lot to Origen in the early history of the church to understand how a lot of believers thought at the time. Uh, and that's all information we would not have had if his mother had not hid his clothes <laughs> uh, in order for him to live to fight another day. Uh, eventually, Origen would succumb to injuries of torture and persecution over the years that eventually would have him pass, uh, but that would not be for, for much longer. Now, there's, there's another example of voluntary martyrdom in which some of the individuals were actually successful. Uh, right around the year 185, uh, same, same around the time that Origen was, was born, uh, there were a group of believers that went to the proconsul of Asia, and they proceeded to demand that uh, he execute them for their faith. Now, that, that might seem a little bit strange uh, for us to, to hear, that there were believers that not only were standing up for their faith, but actually marched into uh, someone's place and said, we want you to kill us for our faith. Uh, the proconsul actually happily obliged to kill some of them. And for the rest, he said, I'm not going to kill the rest of you, 
If you're really that determined for yourselves to die, there's plenty of ropes to grab or cliffs to jump off of uh, to kill yourselves. But I'm not going to dirty my hands anymore uh, after killing a few of you. And really what that does is that is that paints a little bit of a picture of this really this this odd direction that's happening for parts of the church during this time of persecution. Now, on the one hand, those who stood firmly in their faith when they were arrested and refused to recant are, are to be deeply admired. And, and deeply respected. Not everyone stood firm. There were many that, that did turn away, and we'll, we'll actually get into that a little bit more in our next episode. But what, what you have here is those who have started to romanticize the idea of martyrdom in some ways, and have seen how how deeply respected the martyrs were, how revered they became. And they reach a point of thinking, if I want to reach that same status, I need to go big. And there were those that actively sought out persecution, actively sought out death for their, for their faith. Uh, there are some secular writings, and, and to be fair, we need to be cautious at how much we we take these at face value because these were not believers writing some of these these occurrences but there are occurrences of secular writers uh talking about christians goading the crowds almost seeming to be asking for it to be pushing the mobs to get into a frenzy so that they would kill them uh it it's not the best picture if if i'm being honest for for all these believers there are obviously many martyrs where their faith is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And we stand on the shoulders of giants in our faith. I, I deeply respect those in the past and who even now suffer and die for Jesus Christ. But in some of these instances, it almost seems like there is a level of pride involved, almost an element of seeking after glory and fame and respect. That's not exactly what we're aiming for. And, and, and these folks who held to that, they, they absolutely did not understand those who, who avoided uh, persecution, who would run from the potential of being executed. In fact, uh, when, when we see these writings about Polycarp that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, they, they actually had to, when they would retell the story, had to really emphasize God's will and Polycarp's good character throughout that story, because there were some over the years that were kind of dragging Polycarp and guys like him through the mud for actually trying to run away from their persecutors for a little while. You see, the way that uh, some started to view this is there was a hierarchy where, where the elite tier were the volunteer martyrs, and then you had uh, the, the mid-range of those that uh, avoided martyrdom but eventually were suffered under it anyway. Then you had the other tier of those that were just kind of everybody else, 
and then the absolute lowest tier of those who recanted of their faith when facing the pressure of persecution. Now, we, we might look at this and think, this is such a weird concept. Who, who would actually buy into this idea today? And the truth is, while, while I don't think we see people who go out of their way today to uh, be killed for their faith, go seeking after martyrdom, I've mentioned before that I do think we see in a modern-day Christianity those who go seeking after persecution, even if it's in places where they may not realistically find it. It's, they, they end up going in this route of what I heard one pastor call being jerks for Jesus. Uh, and I, I, I like that term. I've kind of adopted that term. It's the idea where you have some people where it's not that they are speaking about who Jesus is, but they're trying to get people riled up and being aggressive about their faith so that when they get hit back, they can cry out persecution. And typically, the, the, the goal, the reason for that in mind is because persecution is still seen as this elite category of people. If you face persecution, if you are hurt and damaged for your faith, then you're considered at a higher level of Christianity. You're considered one of the best kinds of Christians. Now, that, that's just silly. <laughs> but we see it. We see it today. I, I believe we still see that all around us. And really, a lot, of, a lot of the confusion truly just centers around the fact that there are people that are seeking approval and confirmation of being a good Christian. See, the, the question that needs to be asked is, what is a good Christian? Is it someone who dies for their faith? Does the context of that death matter? In other words, does it matter if they were trying to avoid death but got killed anyway, or, or that they stood firmly in the face of death, or that they chased after that death? Does, does the context of the death matter? And that play a role in determining what makes someone a good Christian? Is it about serving as passionately as possible? And for as long as possible. Is that what makes someone a good Christian? To be able to serve after God and do all you can to live to fight another day, knowing that you can serve him for as long as possible. Is, is that what makes someone a good Christian? Or is it perhaps that the, there's the element of having consistent trust and faithfulness in their faith? And if that's the case, what, is, what does that even really look like? What does it mean to have full trust in the Lord throughout your faith? What does it mean to be faithful in all things as a believer? What does it mean to be a good Christian? See, the reality is I, I believe we see all throughout Scripture and really all throughout history examples of good Christians where their stories are all vastly different. We see the believers where... They are arrested for their faith, and they stand firm from beginning to end. 
We see those who avoid arrest. Men like Polycarp for a little while who avoid arrest, but we also see some of the apostles avoid arrest. We see Paul often running, running away, running from one city to the next, avoiding his accusers. We see Peter, who is regularly arrested and then is given the opportunity to escape prison time and time again. Each of them, their stories are different. We see Stephen, where the first time he faces persecution, he's killed for it. Now, now, were any of those men bad Christians? No, I, I would say absolutely not. I would say each of them were good Christians, faithfully following the Lord's will. It just happened to be in each of their situations, the will of the Lord for them was different. They didn't go seeking after something. Instead, they just simply said, here am I, do what you will. They, they all understood the context for the persecution. And the context was the gospel. It wasn't glory. It wasn't fame. It wasn't respect. It wasn't for the purpose of proving how good of a Christian they were, how faithful and committed of a Christian they were. It was all about the gospel. Because here's the coolest part of all with persecution. The more persecution would ramp up for the early church, the more the gospel spread. The more people began to believe as they saw these disciples stand firm. You see, everyone was already trying to either live life up as much as they could before they died, or do all they could to avoid death. And yet here were these group of men and women who were actually willing to die for something. And that was going to draw attention by the crowd. Not that they were going seeking after that death, but that they were willing to still die for it, should that opportunity arise. And with that, people were calling them crazy. They were saying, What's going on here? What, what are they about? And as they heard the message, as these people that were persecuted spoke the message by those who were willing to listen, others began to believe, and the gospel spread, not for man's glory, but for God's glory. Next week, we'll, we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about some of the conflict that arose for the church by asking the question, what do we do now that persecution is over? I look forward to talking with you all about that next time. But until then, I just want to encourage you. Being a good Christian will include faithfulness and trust in the Lord and a commitment to stand firm to advance his kingdom by spreading the gospel far and wide. We don't need to look after persecution. Persecution is already going to come. It'll come find us. We don't need to go looking for it. If we are faithful in the things we've been called to do to go make disciples of all nations, you can bet we're going to face persecution. 
And when it comes, we take it one step at a time. But living the Christian life, it's not about getting the persecution. It's not about getting the eyes looking on you for, for taking the beating. It's about pointing all eyes to Christ. I hope you all have a great week.